Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, I want to start by sharing a story about something that happened to me recently on my way home from work. You see, I work in Oma, and I live in Portadown, so I've got a, a fair bit of a drive in the evening to get home. And particularly if I've been to the gym before work, I can get a bit hungry by the time it comes to home time. So I have a, a tendency to stop off at a petrol station to, to grab a quick snack to keep me going. And a few weeks ago, one Friday, because it was Friday, and because, like I say, I have that tendency to work out before work, or at least to think about working out, I'm maybe not quite as committed to the gym as Jennifer and Owen on the production team. <laughs> But I'd definitely I'd, I'd thought about going to the gym, and it was Friday, so I thought I deserve a bit of a treat. Because after all, what's the point in doing workouts if you can't treat yourself afterwards? So I'd stopped off at the petrol station and got some ice cream. And because it was a Friday, I thought, I'll go large. I'll, I'll get the ice cream sundae with all the chocolate sauce and the, the cream egg on the top. And it was really, really good. And because it was Northern Ireland weather, couldn't really sit outside to eat it. So I sat in the car. And it would be a bit dull just sitting in your car eating ice cream by yourself. So I'd put the stereo on to, to listen to a podcast. And all was good. Finished the ice cream. It was great. It was time to get home. So then I went to, to turn the key in the engine, and there was this <coughs> noise. Now, I don't know a lot about cars, but I do know that that was not a good sign. So I thought, right, I better try this again. Turned it. <coughs> nothing. No, no noise of the engine coming into life. So I didn't really know what to do, so I, I turned to Google and then realized, how on earth do you put a noise into Google? <laughs> but thankfully, because I was at a petrol station, I figured, right, there's plenty of people around here. Someone here is going to know what to do. So got it sorted and turned out that the car battery had died. Uh, now, I should point out that I wasn't listening to a podcast for that long. It wasn't like I'd listened to one of Pastor Phil's messages or anything. <laughs> But my car has now reached that vintage where it's coming up to several hundred thousand miles on the battery, so it probably is in need of a new battery. And there was just no power left. So the power in my car, it may be temperamental and prone to running out, but today we're looking at a source of power that will never run out, that will never run dry, that's never going to fail us. We're looking at a source of power that will equip and sustain us for every situation so that we can spread the hope of Jesus everywhere we go. We're looking today at the power we get from the Holy Spirit. So as we start, just let's take a moment in prayer just to ask God to speak to us. Father God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have something that you want to share with us today. We pray that we would each listen to what you're saying, that it would not be my words, but that it would be your words speaking through me. Come and have your way today, Lord. Amen. So today in the church calendar, it's the day of Pentecost. So I want to spend a few moments today just stripping back what Pentecost is and why it matters for us today. And the good news is, if you're taking notes, Pentecost is a lot easier to spell than sanctification was last week. <laughs> now, in the interests of full transparency and honesty, I, I need to strip back and explain what a preacher means when they say, just a few minutes. It means get comfy in your seats. We're, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So we're in this series at the moment called Stripped Back. And in this series, we're trying to put down roots, trying to anchor us in our journey of faith. We're trying to go back to basics, trying to refresh on some of the key things that we believe and why they matter. Because as Pastor Phil reminded us last week, discipleship isn't just about attending church. 
It's not just about coming to lectures to get knowledge. It's about on-the-job training. It's about practical application. Already so far, we've looked at salvation and sanctification. And if you've missed those weeks, I'd really encourage you to go back into the archive on our Facebook, on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Every week, the production team seems to be adding somewhere new that you can catch up, so you've really no excuses. But this week, we're stripping back Pentecost. So what is it? What does it have to do with power and the Holy Spirit? Whenever you hear the word Pentecost, some of you might have some associations. You might have been to a Pentecostal church before. You might have learned about Pentecost years ago in RE. You might immediately think of people waving flags. Maybe you haven't even heard the word Pentecost before and are wondering, what is it all about? So hopefully, by the end of this message, you'll understand a bit more about what happened 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. But more importantly, hopefully you'll understand and know a bit more about the application for us today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, so if you do have a Bible with you or on, or on your phone, it'd be great if you could turn there now. And as you look at Acts chapter 2, you'll see it's quite a long chapter. So the good news is, in the interest of time, we're, we're not going to be going through every verse. We're only going to look at verses 1 to 41. There's that nervous laughter where you're not quite sure if I'm serious or not. I'm serious. Don't worry, we will skip over some of the verses. We'll not go into every single verse. So what was Pentecost? Well, this is where we need to strip back and explain a bit of the original meaning of Pentecost. You see, it was originally a, an Old Testament festival that gained a new meaning in the, the New Testament. The term Pentecost comes from the Greek word 50th. It refers to a Jewish festival of for, celebrated on the 50th day, hence 50th, after the first fruits, and it was the festival of weeks. It was one of the, the three annual festivals that all the Jewish meals made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for to offer sacrifices. It was a celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, so they would offer a sacrifice to God of grain. That was the original context of Pentecost, and it's a feast that's still celebrated by Jews today. And according to the, the definitely reliable source of Wikipedia that I used to research, one of the ways that Jews celebrate it today is by eating cheesecake. So if after your Sunday roast later you have a bowl of dessert and you're feeling tempted by it and you're worried about the impact it could have on your summer beach body, the biblical mandate is you can go ahead and eat it. And Dylan has actually brought a whole cheesecake with him today, so he might share some of that with you later. Please don't let the, the allowance to eat cheesecake be anyone's main takeaway. Hopefully no one put that down as their notes. So when we look at the Old Testament, we have to remember that it was all pointing to Jesus. The whole Bible, every verse, is the story of God's plan for our salvation and sanctification. So what we see in the New Testament is a new meaning being given to Pentecost. So apologies if you are looking forward to a sermon all about harvesting wheat this morning, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. The Pentecost we're looking at today didn't see a harvest of wheat, but a harvest of souls as the church began to grow. So the context of that first Pentecost was that the disciples were now 10 days after Jesus' ascension to heaven. 40 days after he rose from the dead, he then ascended to heaven. But before he ascended, Jesus had given the disciples a promise. He told them to remain in Jerusalem and await the promised helper, the Holy Spirit. Luke recorded it for us in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When we look at the original Greek word, the word for power is dynamon. That's where we get the word dynamite from. That's the kind of power that the Holy Spirit came to bring, not just a little AA battery of power. Not just a medium-sized amount of power, not even just enough power, explosive dynamite power, power to completely change things. 
Power to turn things upside down. Power that was given for a purpose. To help the disciples be a witness to all that Jesus had done. Declaring the message of God's love in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the world. So let's dive into Acts 2 and see what God wants to teach us this morning. Starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So first of all, we find the disciples and followers in one room, having a meeting, waiting for that helper that Jesus had promised. They took Jesus seriously and they trusted that he would do what he said he would do. They trusted that he would indeed send the Holy Spirit to help them. And maybe that's the first lesson we need to be reminded of today. Trust in the promises of Jesus. If he said it, he will do it. There was a time lag between Jesus promising the helper and the day of Pentecost happening, but the disciples didn't lose faith. They clung tightly to Jesus' promise. Maybe today you're in an in-between season. Maybe today you're in a season where you, you don't know what to do or you don't know how God's going to move. But if you've had a promise, he will bring it to fruition. You have to hold on. That's what I want to encourage you today. Keep praying, keep trusting, keep praising. His timing is perfect and he is always faithful to fulfill all of his promises. And we see with the disciples that as they faithfully wait, the Holy Spirit shows up. It says in the text that it happened suddenly, but for the disciples, it would have been anything but sudden. They'd been on a, a real roller coaster a couple of weeks. From the thrill of Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the, to the sudden heartbreak of Jesus' death on Good Friday, to the surprise and the shock of the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday, to the amazement as Jesus walked into the middle of a room with them, to the surprise of him leaving them again to ascend back to heaven. Though it says that the Holy Spirit came suddenly, to get to that suddenly moment, the disciples had to go through a slow and emotionally painful process before the suddenly happened. And often it's the same for us. Life brings all sorts of pain and hurt and suffering our way. But the promise we cling to is that there will be a suddenly. There will be a moment when God wipes away the tears. It may be this side of eternity, but it may not be until the world to come. But there will be that suddenly moment. That's the promise that we have. So looking at what happened as the disciples gathered in that room, Firstly, there was what sounded like a mighty windstorm, which symbolizes how the Holy Spirit's presence brings power, infuses life, and generates new creations. And then there was what looked like tongues of fire, which symbolizes how the Holy Spirit displays the pure, refining power of God. And that's why we have the fans with the haze as a nod to the, the wind and the, the smoke that probably was there with the tongues of fire. So there's a biblical mandate for that too. <laughs> What we see in this passage is that whenever the Holy Spirit came, the followers were all filled. That's significant. You see, the Holy Spirit is for all believers. If you've put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is for you. He isn't just an optional add-on for the really radical, sold-out followers. He's for everyone. Some of us have some experience of the Holy Spirit, but for others, you could be like the converts in Acts chapter 19 who'd never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So we need to, to pause here and press in on the Holy Spirit. You see, as Christians, we believe in the Trinity. It's a concept where there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's really a complex theological concept, but as we strip it back, the basic is we believe in one God who has three distinct persons, 
but through them all, there is one essence, one divine power. And the Holy Spirit, he's part of that trinity. He's a person. He's not an it. He's not some floaty figure. He's not a ghost. He's part of God. And it's important that we keep things biblical when it comes to the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit gets mentioned, some people can get a bit crazy, and some people would rather just brush over the Holy Spirit altogether. But here's the thing when it comes to people who are just a bit weird and slightly hyper. If someone was weird and a bit hyper before they became a Christian, they're still going to become weird and a bit hyper after they become a Christian. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's just their baseline personality. Some people are just a bit hyper, and that's okay. I have to be really careful not to make eye contact with anyone in case they, you think I'm talking about you. But you can't blame us as a church for, for making people weird. That's just some people's personality. Whenever I'm able to go to an Ulster match again, or if you're watching the Armagh boys going after a second Sam Maguire, there's going to be some fans who are just a little too wild, singing too loudly, waving flags too much, jumping up and down, cheering. Once Shamrock Park's open for fans again, that's going to be Joe Craig cheering on Portadown. <laughs> But you don't give up on watching sport because some fans get a little too passionate for your liking. And likewise, we can't give up on the Holy Spirit because some people get a little too passionate for our liking. We need to get a good perspective on the role of the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Bible shape our expectations of what the Holy Spirit's going to do. So I'm going to share a few things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, and I'm going to throw out some verses that you can look up at later. We don't have time to go into each of them now but you can look them up later to, to really press in and see that this is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, he helps us speak whenever we're in shaky situations and unsure how to share our faith. So that's from Mark 13, verse 11. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the sin in our life as he does the work of sanctification. That's John 16, verse 8. He's our helper, our comforter. He teaches and reminds us of the things we need to know. You can see that in John 14, verse 26. He helps us when we're weak. He intercedes for us when we don't know how or what to pray. We read that in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Through the Holy Spirit, we've received adoption as children of God. He reminds us that we're not slaves, but we're God's children. You can see that in Romans 8, 15 to 16. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can abound with confidence because our God is a God of hope who fills his children with joy and peace. You see that in Romans 15, verse 13. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit the things that will mark our life if we are filled with the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I don't think there's anyone that could say that they don't need more of that in their lives. But here's the rub. You see, if God's given us a helper, it means we need help. If God's given us an encourager, it means we need encouragement. If he's filled us with dynamite power, it's because he intends for us to do significant things. See, you don't use a sledgehammer to crack nuts. God hasn't given us the Holy Spirit to help us find parking spaces and post on Instagram our favorite Bible verse. We've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us to bring the kingdom on earth as in heaven. As Pastor Phil reminded us last week, we are all saints called to do the work of the ministry, called to do the work of witnessing for Jesus everywhere. That's our purpose in life. We've been invited to know God and then make him known in the world. That's what the Holy Spirit came to help us to do. We've been called to go out, not just to gather in a building on a Sunday to spectate and be entertained, but to go out and make a difference in the world. But we don't have to go out alone. We don't rely on our own strength. We have the help of the Holy Spirit, his power at work in us, giving us the ability to do the things he's called us to. And it must have been incredible to be there that first Pentecost as the believers had this intense, intimate experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So often in church, we crave those encounters with God, we long for that moment of intimacy. 
And that's good. There's nothing wrong with those moments, but they shouldn't be the end. The story of Pentecost doesn't end with the disciples in that room filled with the Holy Spirit. They come out of the room, and that's when things get even more astonishing. And it's the same for us. We have a choice whenever we encounter God. We can keep it to ourselves, or we can go out and share it. So I need a, a volunteer called Dylan. Come on up, Dylan. <laughs> Normally, whenever I speak, I tend to get a bit of a dig in somewhere at Dylan's expense. So I thought tonight, today, I'd be nice. I was feeling a bit convicted. I thought, try and make it up. Now, if you know Dylan, you will know that he's a big fan of coffee. And if you know Dylan, you'll know that he isn't a big fan of making coffee. For Dylan, <laughs> the best cup of coffee is one that he can blag off the host team without having to make it for himself. So Dylan, I wanted to, to help you out today by giving you a quick lesson in how to make coffee. So we've, we've got here the kettle, we've got here some quality Tesco's instant coffee, no expense spared. You'll need to give more in the offering then to afford better props. So what's the first thing you need to do to make a cup of coffee? So we boil the kettle. Um, I think it's working now. This will make for a great podcast if anyone's listening in their car. Waiting. So whilst it's boiling, the next thing we do is we, we pour out the coffee. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> we'll just assume that that's boiled. <laughs> He said he's not going to drink it anyway. So, the kettle's boiled. Job done, right? Nothing more to do? Okay, what, what, what else do we have to do? So we have to pour out. So once the kettle's boiled, to make the coffee, it has to be poured out. So there, you can, you can take that and drink it or pour it out, whatever you prepare. Thank you. So one of the great things about having a, a one-year-old daughter in the house is that often something crops up just as the kettle is boiled. She seems to have this great ability to hear just as the kettle boils and wake up screaming from a nap. And so you come back having to boil the kettle again and again and again before you can actually get your coffee. And I think often we can be like that. We can be like a kettle that's constantly getting boiled but is never poured out. Having those moments of intimacy with God but not doing anything in response to them. But a kettle is not designed just to be boiled again and again. It's designed to heat up water that can then be poured out and used for a purpose. So let's strip it back. The primary reason why God fills us, the reason he's given us the Holy Spirit is not for us to keep it to ourselves. It's so we can pour out and be a blessing to those around us. So turning back to the text. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. Well, that was a fun list of names to read through. But thankfully, there's no geography teachers here that I know of, so you'll not know how badly I butchered those. 
And after the disciples had been filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't just keep it to themselves. They went out and declared the mighty works of God. And a crowd gathers from all sorts of different countries, and they hear in their own languages the disciples speak about what God was doing. There's a great significance for us to take from that, because it shows that the kingdom of God is multi-ethnic, multinational, multiracial, multilingual. The disciples go out and tell others, which is a challenge for us, because how often do we share what God has done in our life with our friends and family? As a church, we're in this invite season, and I stand here knowing that I feel the conviction that it can be so hard often to actually take that step and share the invite. We're told in this passage that there were Jews from every nation, which is significant because it shows that God's love is for all. He doesn't just want to bless Northern Ireland. He doesn't just want to bless the UK or Europe or Asia or Africa. He wants to bless every country. He wants to bless all the countries in Europe that didn't give us any points last night in Eurovision. <laughs> he wants to bless Israel and Palestine. The gospel, the good news of God showing his love through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is for everyone, for all nations. It's not limited to anyone. It's inclusive. It's available for everyone. It's hope for everyone. It's freedom for everyone. Don't say anyone's no for them. Don't deny anyone the opportunity to hear of God's love because you don't think they'll respond positively. We're called to go to all the nations and declare all that God has done in our lives. We can't keep it to ourselves. And if we want to reach people with the good news, we need to speak to them in their own language, in words that they'll understand. You see, most people, they don't speak church talk. They don't know what terms like sanctification or salvation mean. We need to speak to them in a way that they can relate to. As Pastor Phil reminded us last week, telling people about Jesus and inviting them to church isn't just for one or two paid members of church staff. Jesus has commissioned each of us to go and make disciples. And even amongst people like ourselves, we, we all speak the same language. We all have different ways of communicating. Just think in our own country of how hard it is to make sense of anything someone says from Fermanagh. Just think of how language is constantly changing. If I said TikTok to my parents, they would think of a, a grandfather clock. But if I said it to Chloe or Caitlin, they're going to be thinking of the next kitchen dance video that they can make whilst clicking their fingers and making text appear on the screen. The way we speak changes in different cultures and different settings. It's the same with our family and our friends. We know them. We know what matters to them. We know how to relate to them. We have access to them. We have regular conversations with them. Pastor Phil isn't sitting at your kitchen dinner table on a Sunday afternoon or in your staff room on your lunch break, but you are. Are you telling them about the things God's done? Because if we don't tell them, who will? For many people, we could be the only Christian that they speak to in a week. We have to take that challenge to be bold in our faith and be bold and ask the Holy Spirit to speak through us. Turning back to the text again, we're at verse 14 now. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, that is, 9 a.m. Now, the thing we have to notice there is that by Peter saying that the disciples couldn't possibly be drunk because it was only 9 a.m., he was making it clear that he'd never been to Lurgan. But <laughs> more, more seriously, the thing we have to learn from that is that it means that the disciples must have gathered really early in the morning for that prayer encounter when the Holy Spirit came. And this was a feast day. It was a public holiday. They could have been having a lie-in but they prioritized time with God. They got up early to pray and seek God. And maybe that's the challenge for us, is to, to make that sacrifice in the morning, to, to wake up a little bit earlier to encounter God. So then Peter delivers a message. So we're going to start and read through some of what Peter shared with the crowd. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you are yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the whole central message of Peter's Pentecost message is the need for people to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. And that should be the central message in our lives too. Jesus has commissioned each of us to go and make disciples of all nations. Now in the interest of time, I'm not going to go into all of Peter's message because a lot of it is the same stuff of salvation that Pastor Phil spoke about last week. But let me give you a summary. Essentially, what he was telling the crowd was the message of the gospel. He was telling them that they need to come to truly know God. He was explaining to them how to find freedom. It was almost as if he'd read the message on the, our mission statement on our foyer wall. Peter was explaining to the crowd who Jesus was. He made their need of salvation clear, and he unpacked just how Jesus had made that salvation possible through his death on the cross. So reading a bit more of his message, we're skipping down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them and saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter, he preaches to the crowd. He declares how Jesus is Lord and Christ, our King and our Savior, the hope of the ages, the one who through his death was crucified on the cross to bring forgiveness for all of our sins, to bring the hope of eternal life for anyone who will believe in him, to restore us to our relationship with God, our Father. And he tells the crowd that they need to respond, they need to repent and trust Jesus as their own personal savior. And as a result of his preaching, 3,000 people believed and joined the church in that one day. That's a pretty successful sermon. Even with Pastor Phil's counting, we're still a long way off having 3,000 people at a service, let alone 3,000 people responding. So as we bring this to a conclusion, why does it even matter? You see, at Pentecost, what we see is stripped back what the church was all about at the start. This is the church that God built. It began with pointing people to Jesus and calling them to repent. That's what matters. That's what has to be central. Whenever you strip everything back, that's what needs to remain. A nice building, fancy events, flashy lights, a worship band that sings in tune, coffee that tastes like coffee and not instant. It's all good things for a church to have, but they aren't the main thing. They aren't the essential thing. The foundation that we as a church are built on is that we are called to call people to repent, to receive salvation, to come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's what matters most. That's the central purpose for our life. No matter what you find yourself doing, no matter what job you're in, that is your ultimate assignment. God has called you to, the sanctified, to be a sanctified saint, to do the work of ministry. So what are the applications for us now? 
As I bring this to land, into land, I want to leave you with four brief application points, and I promise this time they are brief. Firstly, at Pentecost, we see the church left the building. Initially, there was 120 followers. That was all that were left faithfully following Jesus at the end of his time on earth. They were all gathered in one room, in one place for a prayer meeting. And then the Holy Spirit came and they didn't stay in the room. They went out. They went to the people in need of the message of Jesus. They didn't keep it to themselves. And we need to follow that example. You see, the world has been turned completely upside down by the ongoing legacy of what happened when just 120 people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit went out of the building and let people see and hear how God had changed their lives. We are here as a church today as a direct result of that. And that, we have to remember, was in an era before the internet, before podcasts, before easy travel, before sermon clips could go viral on social media. So just imagine what a hundred or so of us today gathered in this room and watching online could do if, filled by the Holy Spirit, we resolved to go out into our lives seven days a week and share with all the people we come into contact with the mighty works that God has done in our lives. Yes, you may be a nurse or a hairdresser or a stay-at-home parent or an economist. Yes, I may be a doctor, but underneath all that, at the heart, stripping it all back to the core, our central role, our underlying purpose, is to make Jesus known, to tell of all the mighty works that God has done in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Portadown, Lurgan, Armagh, and all the ends of the earth. See, we have the Holy Spirit to help us with that mission. We come to church to be equipped for the work of ministry, and we have the Holy Spirit empowering us to do the work as we go out of the building. The next point I want to remind you of is that we have power available. The same Jesus that Peter declared as the way of salvation at the day of Pentecost is still the way of salvation today. The same Holy Spirit who was poured out and filled the apostles at Pentecost is in us if we put our trust in Jesus. We have that power available. We're not left to do it alone. We're not left to figure it out by ourselves. We don't have to rely on our own strength, thankfully. We have the Holy Spirit to help and empower us. We have the Holy Spirit to give us boldness and to do through us abundantly, exceedingly more than all that we could ask or imagine. We have that dynamite power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, now at work in us. You see, through the Holy Spirit, we've been given a spirit of boldness, not of timidity and fear. Ask him to help you today. Don't try to, to get through life in your own strength. Don't try just treading water, but call out to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to be at work in your life. Now, the, pen, the penultimate thing I want to highlight is that God used Peter. Peter, he's the one that preached this message that so many people responded to. Peter, the disciple who tried to walk on water and sank. Peter, the disciple who tried to talk Jesus out of giving up his life. Peter, the disciple who cut a soldier's ear off whenever Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus three times. And God used him to save 3,000 with one message, which goes to show it's, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit at work through us. If God could use Peter, he can and will use us too. You see, Peter, he had no theological training. He hadn't been to seminary. He didn't have a master's degree. He'd never read through the Bible in a year. He hadn't completed growth track. He had no experience in anything other than fishing. He didn't have a, a formal title or a position in a church. He was young and unqualified. He had made multiple mistakes, and most people would have probably written him off at a performance review. He was a Galilean. His speech was considered rough and uncultured. But when you strip it back, Peter did have one thing going for him. He had made himself available. He had spent time with Jesus. He said yes to God. And that's what you need to be used by God. Our level of education isn't the important factor. Our title isn't what matters. You don't have to have a ministry job. When it's all stripped back, what you need is to be available. 
You need to spend time with Jesus. You need to say yes to God. God works through everyday people like you and me so that he gets the glory as we do things that could not possibly be achieved in our own power. It was only by the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter could deliver such a powerful, impactful message. In his own strength, Peter put his foot in his mouth every time he tried to speak. On his own, Peter was timid and denied even knowing Jesus. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he was bold and faithfully declared the mighty works of God. So take heart today if you feel unqualified, unskilled, inexperienced, or unprepared. What God's looking for is availability. The Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower you. We don't have to do it in our own weakness, but with the help of his mighty power. And lastly, as we bring this to a close this morning, look again at how Peter ends his message. He calls those listening to repent and declares that the promise of forgiveness of sins for you and for your children and for all who are far off. This promise of salvation is for all. It's for everyone. There's no one excluded. If you're sitting here today or watching online and you've never put your faith in Jesus, hear this, you're not too far gone. If you're listening and thinking you could do with that life-changing breakthrough power that Peter had, the good news is it's available for you. You might be sitting thinking, but you don't know my past. But the promise from God is there's forgiveness for all who are far off. All you need to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But I'm a failure, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. But I've cheated, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. But I've stolen, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, God says. But I have doubts, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. But you don't know what I was doing last night, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. But you don't know how many times I've blown it before, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. But I've done nothing to earn his love, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. But I've spent my whole life running the opposite direction to Jesus, you say. There's forgiveness for all who are far off, says God. The message Peter preached that first Pentecost is the message I want to leave you with today. We've all sinned, all of us. We were all far off from God. But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have the promise of forgiveness. We have the promise of restoration to relationship with our Father who loves us. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit to carry out the work of sanctification and maturing in our lives, filling us with the power to carry out the work of ministry, to fulfill the purpose that Jesus has given us of making his name known in all the corners of the earth. Though our sins are scarlet, he washes them white as snow. There's power in the blood of Jesus, resurrection power that changes our life, that forgives all the wrongs we've done and brings salvation to those who are far off, restoring us to the abundant life and relationship with God that we were made to enjoy. As we finish, let me echo Peter's closing plea to the crowd. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as we close, I want to give you a chance to respond. With every eye closed and head bowed, let's take a moment to, to pray, to ask God to help us respond. For some of you, maybe today, for the first time, you want to trust Jesus as your hope. You want to call on his name and make him your Lord. And for some of us, maybe today, you want to make yourself more available to God. You want to call out for more of the Holy Spirit's power at work in you so you can fulfill the purposes he has for you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org 
and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Orient Church podcast.